It has been a tremendous day here at EBC today. Just uh, not just attendance. It's never about that, but just the spirit of the services. And I've just really been touched this week to to share this with you guys. And that is, it's just we were singing. Man, I love the the incredible theology in that hymn. And the new way in which Danny has, has done this and, and just so excited about that. Because this is what the church is about. We are the church. Today we're talking about we are the church. We are the body of Christ created for good works. That is the purpose for which we are created. And I want to share this with you today simply because I think it's important for us to know but it's important for us to pray. But also, I think there's a message in this today. And that is, we had two families this just this past week. Since we were together um, just last Sunday, we've had two families who have experienced in their family, one an immediate family member, the other a, uh, a nephew that committed suicide this week. So we've got two families who are walking through, I mean, just difficult, difficult storms in their life. Last week, we had two, two members that in their immediate family had, had deaths in their family. And, it, and that loss is not just death. For others of you, it is job situations and, and other things that are going on. But I want to speak to, to suicide for just a second. Because when we think about suicide, I, I don't get to speak to those who need to most be affected by it. Usually I get to speak at a time at which a, a decision has been made. And where a permanent solution, death, has come about in a temporary problem, whatever life has thrown at someone. But depression is real, and darkness is difficult. And even the believers and followers of Christ have, have taken their own lives. And I've experienced that in friends and others. But here's what I want to say to you in that. Because I never have the opportunity to talk with them beforehand... If you've ever contemplated that yourself, first of all, I want you to know you're not alone. And second, that there are people to talk to, and we are here. And um, But the third part of that is this. As I was sharing with my father just uh, several years ago, he was going through a very debilitating illness, lots of pain that he was experiencing. And we were driving, actually, to Texas from Arkansas. And as we were doing that, one of his friends, who was his age or just slightly older, had a terminal illness, but it was very painful, and he took his own life. And he was a subcontractor in my dad's building business, and um, he had adult sons who were around my age. And I said, Dad, I need you to understand something. No matter what Mr. Anderson was going through, I said, I need you to understand that his sons will forever be asking this question of themselves. Was there something more we could have done? And I said, the the incredible difficulty and the selfishness of suicide is this. It's a question that will always linger and never be answered in a family's life. Had someone come up right after this last service, and she shared with me that her son had taken his own life many years ago, and that she was going to be praying for that family. But in that, I share that because when we sing these songs, I know that Sometimes we see people's pain, and other times we don't. And so I want you to understand that this worship, this, this thing that we experience in worship is, is very meaningful, and it's an opportunity for us to literally be the body of Christ to one another. That's what this is all about. What this series is all about is that we could be the living body of Christ to one another, and that we could have the best expression of that in relationships with one another. I'm so thankful that in both these two situations I heard of this week, it wasn't even the family that called me. It was people in their life group that shared with me that they were already ministering to them and they wanted me to know. That's the way the body should work. Amen? That's what this is really all about. Amen? Okay, now I know it is just now, after, afternoon, and you're going to have to get with the program and, be, and keep me awake or else I may go out on you guys. But here's the thing. We are the body of Christ, and today we're discovering that we are created for good works. And one of those good works is that we would minister to one another in times of difficulty, in times of tragedy, and in great times, and in, in wonderful times, but also in 
the most difficult of days. And so today we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be looking at Ephesians. But I do want to let many of you know that uh, the potential of a class action lawsuit has been filed against EVC from last Sunday's message and rock chips being evidently hitting people in the audience. And uh, not to single anyone out, but John Burke in the back, right back here, my loud buddy, is the one who wants to file the suit. Because if you'll notice, they're sitting on the back today because they were sitting right here last Sunday, okay? And he told me that they were, they were thinking about filing suit on that. So rest assured, there are no rocks will be chipped today during the forming of this message. And uh, by the way, rocks were not injured last week. I just want you to know that as well. But I do want to share with you, in thinking about this whole atmosphere and this whole image of the body, I'm thinking about something, and we're going to file this story that I'm getting ready to tell you under the category of that uh, getting old is not for cowards. Okay, amen? Can I get any witnesses in the room today? Okay, Uh, getting old is not for cowards. So that's where we file this, because just a couple of weeks ago, I turned 45. And I know for some of you that doesn't seem very old, but for me that felt very, very old because I had not been feeling well. And actually on my birthday, July the 13th, make note of that and send me gifts next year. All right. But but on my birthday, I was actually in bed all day. It felt a lot like the Lao Wow that John and I experienced in Lao. But, but I'm convinced that, and I've told Jennifer that it was really cyclospora. She calls me a hypochondriac and said that it was not cyclospora, but I am personally convinced that it was. More than likely not, but that's what I thought it was. Okay. So I was not feeling well, but I really wanted to get back into my workout stuff that I do. And I have a friend of mine that I work out with. And there is a demon activity that I have called the spawn of Satan, and it's called kettlebells. Okay. Anybody else use those? All right, kettlebells are what I call the spawn of Satan because they're an exercise that I really dislike doing intently. And I usually probably don't do it very well because especially a couple weeks ago because my body was tired from being ill. And it wasn't the kettlebells that gave me the issue. It was after I had done them and probably not in the right form that I was supposed to do them in. I got on a rowing machine to do my final exercise of the day. I pulled back on the rowing machine and when I did, it was like I heard a literal in my back. And I was like, Oh no, this is very, very bad. Because usually when it does that, I'm okay for the first few minutes, but it tightens up and then I'm out for the count. Jennifer was at work and she was, or actually she was on a trip with Kara. Allison had gone to youth camp. So there was nobody at the house to care for me. (laughs) See the sad, sad face. It's, thank you, Linda. Linda, please, please don't be quite as involved as you normally are. Okay, thank you. Because, Linda, in your case, I know it's totally insincere. Okay? So I go home and I lay out on this ice bag. And, I mean, I am just out there. My dogs are coming up, licking my face, trying to take care of me the best that they can. And so um, there, there I am. And, I mean, I am in pain. I'm going, what am I going to do? So I called Jennifer. She gives me the name of her chiropractor. And I'm thinking, this is probably a place that I need to go because I need to figure out. This doesn't happen very often. About once a year, it'll happen. And I'm usually out for a week. But it normally will get better. I said, I need to figure out what's going on with my body. That's where this story is going in case you've lost me already. It's about the body. And so I go to Jennifer's chiropractor. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever used chiropractors. Show of hands. There we go. We have several, actually more of a higher percentage in this service than in the other services. But so I go to this chiropractor. Now, chiropractors, I always already have an issue with because I have a cousin who's a chiropractor. That does not help my image of chiropractic, okay, that this particular cousin is a chiropractor. Didn't really help my image. But I go to the chiropractor, and I discover that there is a whole process in chiropractic that I didn't really know. So I go to the waiting room, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, what's going to happen with me today? I don't really like doctors to begin with, and now I'm in severe pain, and I'm hoping that something great will happen. Jennifer has already told me, look, on the first visit, she's not going to see you. They're just going to take x-rays. So I was kind of preparing myself for that. They get me up, they take me in, and they give me my folder And it has a binder clip on it. And I discover that this said binder clip is very important in chiropractic. And I had no idea why. But it was a certain color and it had a number on it. I didn't know this visit, but I would know later what this was all about. They give me my binder and they take me to a room. This is the video room. 
Now, in the video room are two leather chairs. Why two? I don't know, because there's never more than one person in the video room. But I go in there, and they show me a video about all that chiropractic will be different from any other type of medicine that I've ever been a part of and all the things that it can have in store for me. So now I'm watching the video. The video ends, and no one comes in to get me. Now, in my mind, in my own paranoia, now I'm thinking, do they realize that the video's over? Do they remember that they even put me in the room? Do they realize that I can't actually get out of this chair without help? You know, I'm thinking all these things. And finally, the chiropractor comes back in. She takes me to get my x-rays. And I'm going, finally, I'm going to get some help. She takes them. She says, I'm not meeting with you today, but I want you to go back and get some therapy. I go back to the therapy room. I have to take my folder. I take it with me. The man tells me, every time I see you, take your folder, put it in this slot and only this slot. I'm going, dude, these people really have their process down and they don't want me to actually do anything wrong. I felt like kindergarten, which by the way, were the best four years of my life. Okay. (laughs) So I felt like I was right there and he goes and he puts these electrodes, two on the top part of my back and two on the bottom. And he hooks electricity to these electrodes. And now I have electricity flowing through my body, okay? I feel like Frankenstein at this particular point in time. And he says, just lay down and relax. I said, relax, dude, I've got electricity flowing through my body and this hurts. And then he pushes play on a little CD player. And I have Jack Handy actually talking to me in the CD player, telling me the world of chiropractic that I have entered. And I am convinced at this point in the story that I am now subject to the Church of Scientology, okay? (laughs) I'm hooked up to electrodes, okay? And I've got people telling me things that I should be doing. So I am really concerned at this point. He finishes up and he goes and he takes me to another area of the little workstation. And he gives me something, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm here to tell you is miraculous. How many of you know the miracle of kinesio tape? Anyone in the room? We have one, we have two, we have three. Thank you very much. Kinesio tape. Now, here's why it's unbelievable. They put one down one side of my back, one down the other side, and a piece across. And when he puts the piece across, the pain instantly, for me, went away. Now, I ask you this question, because this is an important part of the story. Is my body healed at this moment? This means yes. This means no. This is audience participation time. We will be here till two if you do not participate. Okay? Am I healed at this point in time? No, I am not healed at this point in time because kinesio tape has just sucked my muscles back in a little bit that they were injured and I was out of alignment. I was hurting at this point. It had pinched a particular nerve, but the kinesio tape had held it together. And it was a miraculous event, yes, but my body is not healed yet. It is still out of alignment. There are still issues going on. So now the rest of the story. I come back to my second visit. I see the receptionist. She hands me my folder. It has my clip on it. And it has, this particular time, it has a number two. I take it. I start down the hallway. She says, oh, no, Mr. Miller. And I'm like, oh, no, what, what did I do? She goes, place your folder in the slot of the doctor's door. I'm like, okay, I will be sure to do. So I put it in and I go to room number two. There's room number one, room number two, and room number three. Okay. The little vestibule that I'm now in is about this wide. And there are, again, two chairs. Now, why there are two chairs, I do not know. If there had been another person in the room, it would have been intensely uncomfortable for us to be talking to one another. We would have been sitting shoulder to shoulder. And I would have been talking to them the whole time, as I normally would do. And they would have been going, this guy's a loony tick. Okay, that's what would have happened. But I am sitting now in vestibule room number two. And then all of a sudden, the doctor calls me in. Oh, no, she doesn't call me in yet. I'm sorry. I missed a part of the story. I'm sitting there, and as I'm sitting there, I'm hearing what is in, going on in the next room. It's called an activator. I mean, if you know what an activator is, it sounds like a little gun that the doctor is using on the person's back or shoulder or whatever. At this point in time, I now am texting Jennifer going, she is shooting the man in the next room, and I do not know what's going, but I'm getting ready to bolt out of here. She goes, no, it'll be okay. Doctor calls me in, she works me over, and she tells me what's happening to my back. She shows me my x-ray. And she says, see, you've got some space here, some right here, you've got this issue. And she said, 
you have moderate degeneration of your spine. But wait. She said, but that's very typical of a man of your age. Okay? This is what the doctor tells me. And I said, ma'am, really? I said, I can get this at home. I don't need this from you. My daughters are very happy to give this to me. I can get this at church. Linda Smith is very happy to give this kind of thing to me. So I don't need this from you. And she kind of laughs a little bit. She said, really, it's really pretty normal. I think we can really help you. She outlines what I need to do to get my body to the place where it's actually going to be healthy and whole again. Then the funny part of the story is, she says, go ahead and go out the door. I turn around. And remember, there are three rooms and her door. There are four doors exiting. I go, what door do I go out of? She goes, what number's on your clip? Ha <laughs> ha. Number two. She says, you go out number two. I'm going, I had a dream like this once where there were four doors. And I'm trying to decide, but there was a beaver and Abraham Lincoln in my dream as well. Okay, so some of you have been in that same dream as well. So the doctor tells me, What's going on? Because my spine is out of alignment. And when that happens, there is some nerves that are affected and some muscles that are affected. And they put me on a regimen to get healthy and whole. Much like us. We are the body of Christ. Amen? And there are times in our life, just as I described earlier, in families within our church, just this very week, that death or suicide or difficulty cause us to be out of a line. There's something within us that's hurting. For others of us, it's relationships. We've been in relationships at home or with neighbors or with friends or at work that we are out of a line of where we need to be. And God has called us to be the body of Christ. And that kinesio tape put me together for a little bit and there are things in our life that kind of seem to put us together for a little bit. But until we actually get and go through the regimen of understanding who we are as the body of Christ and how we rightly align ourselves with Christ who is our head, when we, don't, when we are out of that alignment, we are not functioning like we need to function. So today the metaphor is we are the body of Christ created for good works. That's the purpose with which we have in our existence. God wants us to do good works. So I want us to look at that this morning. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2. And the first point is simply this. It comes straight from the scripture and it says, We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. But before we really understand that, I want us to understand that we are not saved by works. We are created in Christ Jesus for works. So let's look at this passage and see what it says. I like to go, I wanted to do this whole passage because we really get a great view of who we were without Christ. Or today, perhaps that's you. You do not have a relationship with Christ. You've been investigating that. You're in a great place, a safe place to investigate that. But maybe you don't have that relationship with, with Christ. You're going to see yourself in this passage. For others of you, you're going to hear these words and you're going to remember that was really me. I still may struggle with sin, but I remember what that was like says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Doing what? Following the course of this world. Imagine that's just what it is. When we are in sin, when we are without Christ, we're just following the course of this world. Wherever the path is going to take us, that's what we're really doing. We are following the course of this world. We are following the prince of the power of the air. It's exactly what Pastor Bart's been preaching about through the summer as we talk about that we are at war. This prince of the power of the air is Satan himself and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan himself is affecting this path that the world has to offer us, and we are just following wherever that path takes us. And what does that look like? It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And what did we do? We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What did it say? We are carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind. That's what sin is. If you really have always wondered what in the world really is sin, it's just allowing your body and mind to tell you what you need and what you want and you following those natural inclinations. It's what the world leads us to. It's what Satan leads us to. It's what our sin leads us to. Whatever our mind and body wants. But that's not the intention. If that's who you are, 
you are greatly out of alignment from where God wants you to be because he wants you to be a part of the body of Christ. But then verse 4 says this, but God, I love that, because the, the but that comes in that sentence says, this is a totally different idea than where we were at before. But God, God shows up on the scene and what happens? Being rich in mercy, that's God, not us, Him being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive again together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable unmeasurable. Okay, think about that for just a second. Think about something that is unmeasurable even by God. That the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, what it says is this. We were dead. We've been raised. We're not only raised, we are seated with Christ. So here's the beauty of what that says. If you have never had a relationship with Christ, you can today. And when the moment that you do that, and for those of you who have done that, who have a relationship with Christ, you are now seated with Christ. Christ is seated next to the Father. And you are already positionally there. In other words, heaven has already begun for you. Because what did we say last week? We today are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Because we're in Christ Jesus, wherever Jesus is, we are. And wherever we are is where Jesus is. So Jesus is now in this world, but the flip side of that is wherever we are, wherever Jesus is, we are. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's already reigning with God. That means for those of you who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, heaven has already begun for you. Now, for you and I, it doesn't necessarily feel like heaven all the time, does it? We're still going through struggles. We're still going through trials. We're still making it in this life and really struggling sometimes to do so. But Jesus says in this passage that we are with him already. We've already won. The victory's already won. We just have to realize who we are in the body of Christ. Then that famous passage that most of us have heard before. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. What this passage says is it's not by any work that you and I could accomplish on our own. We cannot do it. Just this past Friday, uh, I believe it was Friday of this past week, where uh, Ramadan concluded for the Muslim world. Let me help you understand a little bit about Islam. The Islam belief in heaven, there is a belief in heaven and in hell within Islam. And there's an understanding of judgment and of works within Islam. And here's the way that it looks. There is literally the belief within Islam is that there is a scale that is held up at the end of your life. And each person within Islam is given a recording angel. And this angel actually records all of your good deeds and bad deeds and takes them before Allah at the end of their life. And they are weighed on the scale. Do the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds? And if so, heaven is possible. If not, hell is possible. That is the view of faith. It is the view of eternity within Islam. Not so in Christianity. In Christianity, for it is by grace through faith that we are saved. And not by works, lest anyone should boast. Because if I could say today to you, that if you will just, by church attendance, and by giving 10%, and by doing all the good things that a good Christian should do, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds in eternity, and you get to go to heaven. That would be a lie. Because the truth of the matter is, it's not by works. Because if it were by works, you could boast about it and say, look what I did. I remember as a teenager, at the age of 15, when I accepted Christ, I told someone, look, if you could just tell me what I need to do. If there's a thousand push-ups and stand on my head in the corner until my head turns blue, and that's how I get to heaven, I will die trying to do that. But if I were able to accomplish that in my own, in my own strength, who would have gotten glory? Me. But this verse is very plain. It's not by works that you get to heaven. I love to illustrate it like this, especially to kids. I like to say, you know, if we go to the coast of California and we try to swim to Hawaii, you may make it further than me because you're a better swimmer. And, and I may not make it because Jaws might get me. Okay, that's a whole nother thing. That was last week, okay? 
but I'm not going to make it. But the deal is, you're not going to make it either. Does it really matter that you make it 100 yards further than me, except to go, ha ha, I made it 100 yards further than Pastor Randy, and he's going down before me. That is a short-lived type of joy, right? Because we can't make it on our own. There's no way that we're going to swim all the way to Hawaii. So it doesn't make, make a difference that one of us makes it a little further than another. That's the same way it is with works. It doesn't matter that you might have more works than somebody else and you may be a really good person. The other person may not be quite as good a person. It's not based on your works. It's based upon Christ by grace, something you don't deserve through faith. And that's where sometimes I think we get in trouble is we think that we provide the faith. No, God provides the faith too. He just allows us to have access to it. So it's through grace, or by grace, through faith, not of works that we do. So let me be very clear. If today you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and this passage seemed to describe you, that you're kind of following the world's way, wherever that will take you, you can make a choice today to ask Christ for His grace and the faith to believe in Him. And you can be a Christian today. That's incredible joy. Now, for the rest of us who have that relationship, that's where we're talking about the body today. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works. But once we are a believer, we need to understand that we are to do and to be involved with good works. What does this passage say? We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are this workmanship. What that literally means is this. We are God's masterpiece. The Greek word that's used there literally means we are His greatest work of art. We are the pinnacle of Christ and God's creation. We're the top. We are literally His masterpiece. I like to look at it like this. Robbie Keith in our life group this past week shared this illustration with me. He said, you know, it's like a stained glass window. When you're really close to a stained glass window, you can only see the individual pieces and parts. You can't have the perspective that if you step back from it, you see the whole picture. You can only see the individual pieces of glass. But when you get the whole picture, you see really what the artist intended. And that's the picture of the church. When sometimes we're in the trial and we're in the relationships with one another, we can't really see what it is that God intends. But when we take a step back and see the church as this literal stained glass window all put together, I like to look at it as a mosaic. You know what a mosaic is? A mosaic is like if you take a piece of pottery. It may be a pretty piece of pottery or it may be broken or or chipped off and you smash it. And you take the pieces of what once was intended to be a piece of pottery and you make it into some piece of art that's beautiful. You see, it had one intention before and now it has a total new intention of the artist. You see, God took us and we were broken. And we went through that breaking process and He took what was broken and He made it into something absolutely beautiful called the church when we are connected together. We are created for good works. It is what God intends for us. There's one other passage I want to share with you in this. It comes from a different perspective. It comes from the book of Titus. Titus 3, verses 1 through 8. I'm just going to read it through, and I really would encourage you to take this home and read through this passage slowly and see all the richness that's really here. Titus looks at this whole idea from a totally different point of view because the book Paul is writing Ephesus to the whole church. And he uses metaphors like the body to help us understand how the church is supposed to work. Titus, when Paul writes to him, he's writing to an individual pastor. And when he writes to Titus, he wants to help Titus know how he can share with the whole church as a pastor what it is that they need to see themselves as and how he can help the church understand. And here's what he writes in chapter 3. He says, remind them, the church, to be submissive to the rulers and authorities and to be obedient By the way, do you know God's love language is obedience? We talk about love languages sometimes in dealing with marriage and children, relationships and all these things. But God's love language is obedience. When he shows us something he wants us to do, we are showing our love to him when we obey what he calls us to do. And in this, he's saying, be submissive to the rulers and authorities. Then he tells us what these good works look like. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. Okay, that's interesting. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. 
For we ourselves, and here he goes into a description of this is what we are without Christ. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures. There's those words again. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But again, the change. Now we're going to see what God looks like. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us again, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, now listen to this, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are already heirs. Here's the hope of eternal life. No matter what you came in today, no matter what struggle you're going into, coming out of, or in the middle of, this is not all there is. I could say to those parents of their adult son this week that took his own life, I know this day is dark, but this is not all there is. There is hope in eternity. Even for your son, who we believe had a relationship with Christ, there is hope. Because this is not all there is. There's hope to eternal life. And then he says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. Say it with me. They devote themselves to good works. We are created for good works. What that means is this. If we do not accomplish what God intended us to accomplish... We are not living up to the part in which He created us to do and to be. Just like my back was out of alignment and was causing problems in other parts of my body, when we are not rightly aligned to the Father, when we are not doing the works that He's called us to do, we are not going to fulfill the ministry that He wants us to as the body of Christ. That's how important this is. And what happens when we... When we exhibit these good works, when we serve others, when we do these things, what happens? He says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. People's needs get met. My full belief is that welfare is not supposed to be a part of the state. It's supposed to be a part of what the church is about. People that have needs and have those needs met. Now, sometimes because our church has not, as a part of the church, has not functioned always the way that it should... We get behind in this process. And so there seems to be so much more need than we have. And when we have lots of need and we don't have lots of opportunity and finances to meet those needs, it becomes very difficult. But when everybody works together, this is incredibly possible. Matter of fact, it is absolutely possible. We are created for good works. The second thing I want us to share, I want to share in this today is simply this. An unbelieving world is watching. We need to do good works because an unbelieving world is watching. It's one thing that we are created for this reason, but an unbelieving world needs to see this work that we do. It's the only thing that our neighbors, that our friends, that our co-workers, that our classmates are going to see. They see us. And if they're going to see Jesus, they're going to have to see Him in us. And Matthew 5 deals with this as Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount. Again, a very familiar passage. It says, Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Understand that in the time in which this is written, the reason that it's written this way is because meat could only be preserved and be useful over a longer period of time if it were salted. When salt would go into the meat, it would be pushed and ground into the meat so that it would come across any point of bacteria and dry it out and make it so that this meat could be preserved for a longer period of time. And the same is true with us as the body of Christ. This is our salt shaker. Take a look at the walls. This is our salt shaker. And salt that is in the salt shaker is not useful except to sit on a shelf. In order for the salt shaker to be useful and for it to be used as a preservative, it must be emptied out and pressed into the bacteria of the world. 
You and I must go out of this place. This is not the not this is not the greatest definition of what the church is. The church in gathered together in worship is not the only expression. We also go out for mission that we might be pressed into the world and literally become the preservative of Jesus Christ to a world who desperately needs him, removing literally the darkness that's there. And that's the second metaphor he uses. He says, verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is a military term. It's a military term because you would not, as a military ruler, as a ruler of a nation, you would not create a city that would be set on a hill if it was not totally defendable. A city that's set on a hill is, can be approached from multiple sides. That's the reason often if you wanted to defend a city, you would place it in a valley where it could be defended or you would place it in a rock wall where you could not get behind it. You could only assault it from the front. But a city set on a hill is indefensible. And God says, that's right where I have placed you. You are a city set on a hill. You are a light to the world nor do people put a lamp, uh, put, light a lamp and put a basket or put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see what? Your good works and give glory to their Father who's in heaven. You see, an unbelieving world needs to see your good works and my good works. What does that look like? It means when we serve them, when we build their house, when we work next to them, when we uh, care about them, when they're going through something at work, and we're that person that they can come to and can share and can talk, and we can simply maybe share Scripture, share uh, a message of hope, share the fact that their good works are not going to put them in relationship with Christ, but that they can have a relationship with Him. The world needs to see these kinds of acts of service. Why? Because it's the only thing that will lead them to a Savior. We are reflectors of light. Think about the moon. The moon, although we see it rise in our skies every evening, and it seems to provide light, the moon gives no light. It only reflects light. And that's who we are as the church. We are to reflect the light of the Son of God Himself. Reflect it to a world. And it's only the only way that we do that is through the works that we do. The third thing we need to see in this this morning is simply this. The body of Christ depends on it. The body of Christ, we as the church, depend upon each of us doing good works. What do I mean by that? Look at Ephesians 4. Again, back to Ephesians as Paul shares with us. He says, but, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to women. Here's what that means. God has uniquely qualified you within this body. That if we're going to be rightly aligned to Jesus Christ, that means you and I must do our job. What happened to me when I went to that chiropractor is something in my body was weak. And because one side, typically what happens when my back goes out that way, it's that one side is weak and I don't realize it. And I'm overcompensating with the other side so that it gets so weak that all of a sudden it gives out and it's all jacked up, right? And that's what happens with us. So many times as the body of Christ, we are not exhibiting and doing the things that God has called us to do. We're waiting on somebody else to do those things. And because we don't do it in a healthy way, some parts of our body work too much. Some don't work nearly enough. And we become, as I've said before, but I think it's a great illustration, we become like the football team that we're getting ready to watch on Sundays or on Fridays or Saturdays or whenever it is. We are 22 people on the field who desperately need rest. And five, ten, eighty thousand in the stands who desperately need exercise. That's the definition of football. We are not a football team. We are to be a church not of twenty-two who desperately need or need rest. It needs to be the whole body, everybody doing their part, and that's exactly what Paul says. He says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers why to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he gives us pastors and teachers to do all the works of ministry. Now, many of us think when pastors say that, they go, oh, they don't want to do all the work themselves. That's not even the point. 
The point is, they can't do all the work themselves. So they'll do a certain amount of work, and they may overstretch themselves, but the truth is this. There are people who don't get ministered to because there's no way that they can do all the work themselves. Because everybody's not involved, there's only a limited amount that can be done. And so the church carries on and dwindles and struggles because not everybody is doing their part. The body's out of alignment. He says to equip the body, the building, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up what? The body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God. For what? To mature manhood. The body needs to get mature. It needs to grow. It needs to get to a place where it can grow. And what is it supposed to look like? It's supposed to look like the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus Christ is our image. Until we reach that image, church, we are supposed to keep striving. And here's the truth. We will not reach that image until Christ calls us home. But that's exactly the point. If we could have a level that we said, when we get to Bailey Boswell Road, when we get to that, we will stop. When we get to this size, we will stop. We would all push and push and push, and then we would, we're there. We're never going to get there. Why? Because we are, our goal is not a certain size of church. Our goal is not a certain look of a church. Our goal is to reach all to maturity that they would look like Jesus Christ. That's our goal. And it's something we will only meet when Christ comes back. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to Him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, again, now, the whole body is joined together and held together, not by kinesio tape. He is held together when every joint, with now that is equipped, when each part, is working properly, makes the body grow and builds itself up in love. See, the picture for us this morning is this. Every so often, we need to be reminded of who we are as the body of Christ. That we're created for good works. Make no bones about it. That is the reason we exist. If you are here this morning and you've been coming to worship for weeks and weeks and you don't sense that you're really involved or that you're not really working towards the main goal of what the church is supposed to be about, what I'm telling you is that's not the design that God has given us. God has created us to serve one another. Not only that, the the world outside must see us working together and working to meet their needs as well because that's how an unbelieving world sees the light of Jesus Christ. And this body is not going to be what it's supposed and designed to be unless all of us do our part. It's important for us to do that. And again, just like last week, we can talk about what that looks like or I can show you what that looks like or what it could look like for us. Let me just read this passage, Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us consider, brothers, sisters, how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to take a moment for an activity today. And our staff is going to pass out a sheet that we have done some before, but it's called ministry opportunities. The reason we do this is we can talk about this Or we can take steps to actually do it. So often we hear a message and we go home and we forget it. And so today what we want to give you an opportunity is a little in-class opportunity for us to take this. You could look at it as a survey. But what are the things that are needed in in the body? And what are the places that you could fulfill in this? So we're doing this today, and the reason we do it, and I'm giving us time in the service to actually do it, is because we know that if we give this to you, you'll take it home and you'll never fill it out. So we're going to ask you to fill it out. The doors are locked and you cannot leave. No, that's not true. There are pens on the chairs in front of you. If you do not have a pen, 
There should be one close by. And I'm going to encourage you to take this and to actually walk through it. Simply what you'll do is check areas that you feel like you might be gifted in doing. Or maybe that you'd like to just check out or try. You'd like to find more information. Here's what I can assure you. We're not signing you up to do this. We're simply saying we want to get you more information or ways that you might link up with this. Now, I want to walk you through a couple of these because I want to bring a few of these to your attention. On the top of the children's ministry section, it's on the right-hand side of the front, you see Kid to Kid Mentor. Our WOW women have done a phenomenal job at Saginaw Elementary to start us in the process of encouraging teachers. By the way, there are some cards in the back that if you'd like to write an encouraging message to a teacher, you can do that, and we will be getting those to them before they start school. But they've done a great job of starting that ministry and of actually providing a meal for those teachers twice a year just to show our love and concern. But now we're taking it a step further. We're doing a mentoring process where we actually give training to anyone who's being, who is willing to mentor a child one hour per week. A male with a male child, with a young boy and a lady with young girls. It happens all on the campus. And so it's all above board that's there on the campus. But this is a mentoring ministry that the district has come to us and asked us to be a part of. So we're a part of it now. And if you would like to be trained to be one of those mentors, you can check that. We're looking for 10 to 15 of those. Also, you'll notice group leader or coach in the children's ministry section. It's about halfway down. The reason that's important is because Pastor Dustin, as he's led our ministry, really sensed a, a vision this year that we would like to take our kids to a to, to have life groups along with the large group that they do on Sunday mornings. That means we need more adults to work with them in every service. So we need more folks. It's a great opportunity. Look over on the left side, the student ministry side. It says group leader on Sunday a.m. and that the move ministry. That's our student ministry on Sunday mornings. When Kyle started here three years ago, three and a half years ago, we had about 13 students. We now have 65 every Sunday morning. And in two weeks when we graduate and move our others, we're going to have 75 to potentially 80 students every Sunday morning. We need more of you who feel called to be doing good works service with students. That's a great ministry. Look at adult ministry. Down there we see not only the life groups that we talked about last week, which those, by the way, are in your bulletin. And we had 60 folks that said they wanted to be a part of one of those life groups. And maybe you didn't have a chance or maybe you're new this week. And we'd love to have you as a part of that. That's in your bulletin. But here you see Stephen ministry. Stephen ministry is a one-on-one ministry Men with men, ladies with ladies, anyone who's walking through grief or loss or job loss or divorce, any trauma that they've been through, it's a lady walking with a lady for as long as they need or a man walking with a man. Here's the deal. If you're a person that many people come up to you at work and just simply tell you their life and what goes on, you're probably a great candidate for Stephen Ministry because we want to invest 50 hours of training in you that you may be able to do that better. Over this last year, the nine Stephen ministers that we have trained have given 75 pastoral personal hours with people in EBC and out that would not have happened had they not made this commitment last year. And we are right now receiving our next group of Stephen ministers. And so if you'd like more information on that, it's there. On the back, you see First Touch or Hospitality. That is simply our children's check-in and people who work at our doors to greet people. While on my sabbatical, I went to uh, two churches that as I walked in, and these are churches that I highly respect, and they're great churches. But as I went into those, nobody spoke to me on either one of those services. Nobody said hello. Nobody told me where to sit or anything. Okay? Why is that important? We want to be a place where people truly feel welcomed. And especially in this last service, a lot of times because we're coming in and out, we get here a little bit later, we need people, especially in this last service, to help us out with that. And then over in the hospitality, cafe, meals. Excuse me, how many of you uh, have enjoyed a breakfast burrito here at EBC, okay? Can I get a witness? Amen. That's an awesome thing. Well, we want to continue to provide that, and we just need help in our cafe. So these are great entry-level places where you could work. But there are many other things on this sheet that could be useful for you. 
On the back, there's a box that says other. Write out something you feel called to do. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means that if you see other things or maybe something that you don't see, but you feel like this would be something you'd love to be a part of. Now, here's what it's not. It's not a ministry idea that you have that you'd like for us to do. Okay? This is something that you feel called to be a part of and maybe even lead out in. But maybe this, maybe something that you feel passionate about isn't represented anywhere else on the sheet. And this is something you feel passionate about. It's a great place for you to write that. It says, are you employed or looking for work? Or what's the nature of your work? Let me tell you why that's kind of important. That's important because all the time we get calls about, hey, do you know somebody that does this? Or what if we, uh, what if on our EVC Go Restore, we need a, a group of plumbers? Or we need a group of electricians. Well, who are the people that already do that that we could call and they might have other networks to do that? So this is kind of what networks do you operate in? And as you finish that, our staff's going to be available. Pass them all to the middle if you would. Here's why this is important. This is our little activity that we do today. Because we can talk about good works and we can talk about serving one another. Or we can do it. We can talk about what the needs are or we can show you what the needs are and say, how can we get involved together to be the body of Christ to one another? So that's what we're seeking to do with this. If you're visiting with us today, we'd still love to have your sheet if you'd you'd be interested. But this is a great day for you to be here because we want to be the body of Christ to you. We're doing our newcomers class in just a couple of weeks. So it's a great, or actually it's next week. And so we would love to have you as a part of this. We do this as a part of our process in our newcomers process because we want to get you involved using your gifts and abilities because it's not just important for us as the church. Matter of fact, it's not as important for us as the church as it is for you as part of the church. Because if your gifts and abilities aren't used, you don't feel apart. And other people are not blessed because of you. So we want to encourage you to finish those and then be turning those in. Would you bow with me right now? Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this opportunity today to share your word and the truth that we are created for good works. It's when we give the best glorification back to you is when we are working to do the things that you've called us to do. And Father, I know that there are people here this morning that don't have a relationship with you. And they feel like, just as I, as I read that, as Lord, that they're being led by the world, by their own passion and desires. Whatever their body feels like doing is what they do. Lord, there's a great other life called a life in Christ. Lord, I pray that your spirit would give them that faith that they need to experience the grace that they can receive in you. Lord, for those of us who are part of the body, Lord, I pray that we would be utilized and that we would do the things and be obedient to what you've called us to do and to be today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, there's nothing better in my week that I would do than just to be able to talk with you about that. You can talk with me, Pastor Kyle, Pastor Danny, any of our staff would love to be available to you to talk with you about that relationship that we've had, that we have, and we would love for you to experience. So if you'd like to talk with one of us, we're available. Let me have our ushers come forward, and we're going to take up our offering at this time.